0: We are here, Combo Nation, what up, what up, what up everyone, welcome to episode 215, you heard that right, episode 215 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo, don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you tune in to Combo's Court, if you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, leave a five star rating, a friendly comment, and punch down on the follow button the Apple Podcast app, share this episode with a friend, share it on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, share it on your IG stories and tag me at 1-2 Combo, that's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Today's show, Coach Nick of B-Ball Breakdown returns to Combo's court to talk about the NBA rule changes, who he would draft in a redraft between Zion and Ja, plus much, much more a fantastic conversation with Coach Nick. You can find Coach Nick on Twitter and Instagram at B-Ball Breakdown. That's B-B-A-L-L-B-R-E-A-K-D-O-W-N. Go subscribe to B-Ball Breakdown on YouTube and enjoy this episode of Combos Court. Let's get into it. Coach Nick Beeble, Breakdown, it's great to have you back on the pod. We did an IG Live not too long ago, but it's definitely great to have you back on the podcast. Uh, what's going on on the West Coast, man?
1: Oh, uh, not too much. I've just been uh, trying to keep up with all the games, but it's, uh, I don't know, it actually hasn't been as hard, I feel like, this year as it's been in the, the last couple where I just, I just wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't interested in the games so much. They didn't capture my imagination Uh, at least now that they're a little bit different in the sense of the way the referees are calling the game it kind of does make it a little bit more interesting I feel like uh, to watch these games just to kind of find out (laughs) how physical are they going to let them be and so far it's uh, the
0: answer I think is is pretty physical yeah so what exactly has the impact been in your opinion like from what you're seeing
1: well I think the fans seem to really like it too because finally like you can actually have a shot at playing some defense I know the coaching staff's uh, from who I've kind of interacted with have feel that same way like finally our defense can actually do something and just not be so scared of a whistle every single time. Uh, I, I've noticed that the one thing they're letting go that probably needs to change is the little bit of a shove on the um, waist as the guy is going up the old sort of it's a, I guess it's a pro trick but they used to call that a lot. They're letting almost every single one of those go. And that's really tough because, you know, when you get airborne and now you have a little bit of a – even a little bit of a shove on you, that just throws off everything. It's very hard to score that way. Now, when I train upper-level guys, we do that. We, and you should be doing that if you're a trainer out there because they should get used to that kind of uh, contact anyway. But so far, it feels like the um, a lot of these players are not dealing with it well at all.
0: Yeah, I feel like you definitely get that in, like, open run and pickup run. You definitely get those kind of fouls
1: uh yeah right because like are you are you gonna be the guy to call that and like you know that's tough one
0: um
1: and I, you know it but it, it's interesting to see that the referees are i mean they have to see some of those because it, it's sort of even though it's the ref uh, the veteran pro trick whatever it's still kind of obvious and you can see a little bit of the extension of the arm as they go up i suppose some of them are done when the referees on the other side of the player so they can't quite see it but uh it seems uh, like it's a conscious effort to not call those. And uh, I would suspect that's going to change. But other than that, I think that all the extra physical contact and the collision of bodies, uh, you know, I think that so far they're not adjusting anything. And so uh, I, I think it's okay. I think I, I enjoy it to some degree because as a as a defensive side of the, of the ball, as a coach, you know, it, it got to the point where there's nothing you can do to stop these guys except hope that they miss. So
0: shooting league-wide is down. Do you think the main factor for that – is the rule changes
1: uh without question it's got to be part of it for sure i mean coming out of uh, i can't point to like the bubble feeling of like less people in the stands because i think last year we had you know people in stands for the most part for a lot of that season because you know at some point we were wondering are these guys going to shoot a lot better without any pressure from people yelling at them uh i think that is a thing for certain kinds of players but uh Overall, I would have to imagine that. I mean, you know, I think some of the players are even saying that they had a shorter offseason this year, but it, can't, it wasn't really that much shorter. Um, so I'm not really buying that. Um, so I have to imagine part of it is that I, I haven't actually parsed out the per- percentages. Have you seen are we talking about two point percentage and three pointer or is it just? Uh, yeah, or so I think so.
0: I would have to fact check that. But that's what I think is happening. Yeah,
1: so I wouldn't be surprised. The two points up to me, the reason why is because of the foul or the, uh, the lack of calls, uh, which is fine. Uh, the three-point shooting, in my mind, you know, they've done stuff to clean it up to make them even more protected. And um, so th- the missing of that stuff, I think, is probably just a natural uh, beginning of a season. Uh, I think Seth Partnow was saying on Twitter that, like, it isn't that uncommon, um, you know, for slower starts in the season. And then they kind of catch up
0: after a month or so. Yeah, if you're looking for the numbers, uh, Seth is the guy to go to. It's interesting. uh, So before the bubble even happened, I tweeted that be on the lookout for outlandish shooting and all kinds of crazy shooting performances. And that actually happened. So it definitely makes sense that it could be the opposite right now as fans come back in. I think it, you know, it speeds some players up a little bit. And that little bit of difference could really change the way you shoot the basketball or play the game.
1: Well, you would know from your experience as a player um, what that feels like to have more than just like you know a 200 people in the stands and they're making some noise for you. Um, it, I just I know from coaching in, in a little bit in that scenario, just the that many people in the same arena as you it creates a. I mean, obviously, pressure doesn't exist. Right? That's why I try to always teach my players it doesn't exist. It's only how what you create is the is the is what you can feel as quote unquote pressure. So. Some players, and I, you know, I've heard this from certain NBA players. They they can identify the guys who are going to uh, to strain under the the the, cr- the pressure that they've created for themselves, uh, and that have have it ultimately affect their performance. Whereas there are other guys that don't seem to be so
0: affected by that, and they can perform. Yeah, as you just mentioned, you do come from a coaching perspective, and we all have preconceived notions going into the season. What teams will be good? What teams will be bad? What has to happen to you? What are you actually looking at? That'll make you kind of move off your priors that this team was good or this team was bad. Is there anything specific or and is there anything that tells you like, oh, I think this team will regress to the mean?
1: Good question. Uh, I mean, certainly if you look at the results against certain teams, it's hard because you can say, well, uh, they lost to Houston. They must be terrible. They're not going to be good at all. Um, but then we don't know at this point yeah. whether Houston is going to be as bad as we think that they were going to be, or they're incentivized to lose. It's tough. You know, in fact, Houston, I think is incentivized to lose their games. They want a higher draft pick they're trying to take. Meanwhile, you're watching against the Lakers and they should have beaten them, but it really felt like they didn't want to, um, you know, and, and the indication for there is that they didn't do anything to adjust to guard LeBron, like in the fourth quarter, it had, they done that they might've won, but that's a little off the top of the subject, which would be, um, you know, the things I'm looking for, it, it's weird because they had a full um, training camp and you'd assume throughout the training camp, which goes all the way through the preseason, that they'd be working and having, you know, legitimate practices to install both offense and defense. And then you watch, you know, the teams and you see like Dallas, I'm, I'm preparing a really big uh, video on them and I've watched, uh, you know, uh, uh, 500 clips probably by now. And it's like they don't run any offense. And you talk to some of the guys that cover the team, and you kind of think, you hear that, like, he really, Jason Kidd had focused a lot on the defensive side when he was talking to all the media about what they're working on. And so you start to wonder, is did he pull a Thibodeau and, like, just focus on defense mostly, and then offense, all they do is basically run some pick and rolls. They have a couple of plays, but they don't pop up that often. And that makes me wonder, like, you know, for a team like that, where, you know, they're expected to win a lot of games. They have ability. They've already won in the past. Um, To not have more of a robust offense installed by now, uh, knowing what it's like in the rest of the regular season to like have no practice time,
0: uh, you know, it's concerning uh, if
1: they want to beat the better teams.
0: Yeah, um, you know, everybody knows I've been high on Luca for a long time since he was playing in EuroLeague, but man, I'm just done expecting that guy to come into the season in shape.
1: Right. Does he, to me, he looks fat and like, but he, but he kind of always looked, you know, he's not cut or anything like that. So it's not like we should expect that, but he looks like he's, you know, filling out that Jersey a little bit. Right. Or am I crazy?
0: No, you're not crazy. No, not at all. And it's, I mean, I just feel like if he took his offensive, his off season seriously, and I don't know that he's not like, I'm not with the guy. I don't see exactly what he's doing, but I feel like he could just be even, better if he just took these off seasons and not just worked his way into getting in shape during the season.
1: It's hard to know. Cause I think as far as I can tell, he doesn't train in the States. So, which is smart for him. People can't keep their eye on him or get it. You know, I, I never see anything bubble up on social media in his summers about what he's doing. But I mean, listen, the way he shoots threes in my mind, he'll never be a consistent three point shooter with his two motion shot and high release. Um, and that's one thing he's, you know, but he's way down on the two point percentage two by like five points and uh, he doesn't look like he's got he's never had like big burst, but he doesn't look nearly as spry as he's looked before. And yeah. then certainly in the defensive end, you know, there's not a lot of energy being put out there. So it's um, it's it's really, you know, c- confusing, concerning at this day and age that you'll have a player who's that good, who isn't going to take it as seriously as he should. But like but here we are and it, it, it looks that way. I, I hate to, you know, talk out of turn, but it, it, they're, they're, the results are showing it right now.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, as the season goes on, we'll probably totally forget about this conversation and it'll play, play great because he'll be in better shape in a few months from now. But it would just it'd be great to see him at like a higher starting point, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, why not? There's there, I mean, you know, there's I know 82 games, is a lot of games. But like, you know, if you don't do that well for the first 15, uh, that can weigh on you and your numbers, at least for the rest of the season. So I, I, I just don't understand why that
0: wouldn't be a, more of a concern. Yeah, I know what most people's answer to this question would be in the moment. You've been really high on Zion for a long time. Ja Morant is looking like an early MVP, in my opinion, I would say, or close to it. In a redraft, who would you take first?
1: Ooh, well, you know, gosh, Zion, I hate to look at this through the prism of injuries. Now, that said, the way that Ja plays, you would expect him to, like, break something you know, every other month because he throws himself so far so crazily out there. And I think that they're trying to get him to calm down and do a little bit less on that end. But I think he's wired that way. Meanwhile, the Zion thing is different because, again, here's another guy who – cannot lose weight and he's putting so much pressure on his skeleton skeletal frame that he got a jones fracture you know and that there's there's very few um reasons for that I and mean, he puts so much power into in his feet anyway when, because he is that strong that it's possible that that's going to happen anyway but the, it can't help that he's got another 60 pounds pressing down on that um on the top of his foot like that um and you know, that that is going to be a problem for him so um, I, it's hard to say, cause man, this is the Zion scores so well. and He's so impressive and, and he'll get fannies in the seats and all those things. Uh, can I say fannies? That's okay. I think, um, I think so butts in the seats. So, um, you know, that's a part of it. But by the way. So with job, ja, job, ja, ja makes these guys, he had a move last night. Like a, he like spun in the air on a guy and still yeah, laid crazy. it up. Like he was a playing yeah. against high schoolers. His body so, control is crazy. Yeah. Crazy. So in that respect, like Michael Jordan was a similar thing where he threw himself all over the place and never got hurt. Um, and so i like to think that maybe jaw has that same notion too. So if I had to do a redraft again, I mean, geez, if we wanted to say knowing we know now and how injured, uh, Zion's been and probably will continue to be. And I thought perhaps he'd lose that weight with the professional team around him. And it's not happened. He looks even heavier now in those clips we saw recently that I would, yeah, I'd
0: probably go with jaw. Yeah. You mentioned DeMar DeRosa. What a start to the season for him. Is this who you think he'll be for the entire season? Um, he's looking like the close thing to Michael Jordan coach, Nick.
1: <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> um well full disclosure you know, i grew up in chicago i had we had tickets to chicago bulls all okay. here. so um yeah i mean i had predicted this in the sense that um you know we knew what he could do shooting wise off the dribble from the mid-range yeah and he was elite at that already he's he's actually taken a couple threes and he's, he's making a couple but of i think now. that started with the spurs towards the end right uh, we could look it up. I, I kind of feel like maybe barely, but m- in my mind, it's much more like even just this year, like he maybe he went from like 0.75 or one a game to like two or three now. So it's something. Um, but the way they all pass and including uh, DeMar, which was a revelation to me over the last couple of years where yes. we, I had clips of him from last year, like getting up in the air, the rim and then firing a pass out to the perimeter for an open three. Like that's for him. Amazing. And it's continued that way where they're all sharing the ball. They're moving it. Um, I have a feeling they have to be top of the list or uh, almost top for passes per game. I just looked it up. I know the Warriors were like uh, third or fourth. And so um, I think Bulls have to be up in that, in that category too because they have all these guys who can pass. So as a result, like, yeah, their offense is terrific. Uh, and they, you know what? Their defense is also completely elite. And I had said this before that they didn't need to have an elite defense because they'd be so good offensively. They could be 12th, 11th, and that'd be fine. Well, again, um, this is what Donovan's been doing. He's an architect of really good defenses throughout his whole career, even though it might not indicate like the teams he's had would be elite defenses necessarily. So he knows how to do that, and uh, and they're and they're doing it. You know, Vucevic is even coming through with making defensive plays, and if he can make like. You know, two or three or four a game—that's all they need because you know he'll give up buckets too, as is as will everybody, and he makes the buckets on the other end too, so he can mitigate that. So he's making you know two or three or four. He's getting the nice steals on pocket passes on the roll. Uh, He's good at that, and that's all they're going to need to be you know really really tough.
0: And he hasn't even playing to him to his own standards yet, so that could be another way they could raise their ceiling even higher. Oh, you you would look at them as like a playoff team, right? Like above the play-ins at this point. I mean, I did
1: the video on them right before the season started and I, you know, I actually spotlit uh, Caruso, I think rightfully so, because he's doing Caruso things Um, and he's an X factor for them without question. And as a result, though, I mean, there's no reason. Listen, I don't know what's going to happen with Brooklyn and Kyrie, but they clearly look mortal, even with the two guys. Um, You know, Milwaukee looks a little bit mortal, too. They're kind of still need to get a couple of guys back. But um, after that, I, it seems pretty wide open for me. And I don't see how the Bulls couldn't be fourth or, or, or maybe like even like third, um, you know. And I don't know why anybody would say like, oh, they're going to be like barely make the playoffs. It's, that's insane. Yeah. Uh,
0: you didn't mention the Lakers, but I want to mention them. Uh I've been saying this for a long time, and I hear it coming up more and more now. I've said this months ago on the podcast that Russell Westbrook should be playing a Bruce Brown-type role, playing the 4-5, or short-rolling, setting screens. I actually heard Jeff Van Gundy mention it a few days back. Um, I think I heard Mo Dakil mention it. It's starting to come up more and more. Do you feel that could help their offense, even though they're actually playing a little bit better now?
1: I mean, watch the video I did on opening night. And I was the one who said that. So, oh, <laughs> you sorry, know, Coach. I, Dick. And, and I'm sure they, <laughs> one of those people you mentioned probably saw the video. And if not, then, or they either. listen
0: to Combo's court or both.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Listen, that is his best role because he, with him at the elbow attacking a little bit, he can do some things because, you know, he's one dribble away from getting the basket. He can kick it out and make those certain passes at the perimeter pretty well. Um, so yeah, they, they need to do that as much as possible, but again, as much as possible for anybody is four times a game, maybe five, right? You're not, you don't, this doesn't happen as much as maybe people think it's like, oh, you should do this every time that this won't happen that way. Uh, but he's, they certainly need to do it more. Um, and the Lakers are getting, Lakers fans are getting the Russell Westbrook experience. He is all over the place. And um, so is LeBron. And I, I, I don't see that working out that well because LeBron doesn't tolerate uh, that kind of erratic play that well. And um, my joke was, was that they need to stagger the Russ and LeBron minutes more. And the reason isn't because it gives Russ more touches when Ronald LeBron is out. It's because LeBron would be on the bench and far away from him when Russ makes those mistakes. And so he can't kill him so easily uh, from so far away. And that might ultimately be what we we, we witnessed. We're going to have a moment where LeBron's going to lose his his on Russ uh, for something that he does on the court. I I can't believe that won't happen. And um, we'll see. But I think there's a ceiling in this team because of the way these these pieces all fit together. And um, I think ultimately it will lead to, you know, not getting to the, uh, the Western Conference Finals.
0: Yeah, some would say they should stagger Russell and LeBron's minutes, but that doesn't really make sense for chemistry, like heading towards the playoffs, right?
1: Well, you could argue there's the chemistry of like, you got to let Russ eat a little bit and let him get comfortable. But um, and so I don't mind that. And it's all listen, like back in the day when like Scotty and Michael were running together, like, you know, you always made sure to have one of them on the floor at any one time, which meant that they were staggered. Um, And that's fine. But again, you know, you're going to it doesn't really matter. They're going to play the first seven minutes of the game. They're going to play the last seven minutes of the game. And then, you know, and then they'll play the first seven minutes of the third quarter or whatever those numbers are. So, you know, they're going to have to play together for, you know, most of the minutes that they're on the floor anyway. So it's going to to me, it's going to be like a moot point as it is. Uh, You know, will it make Russ a little bit happier if he gets, you know, the four minutes a game by himself? That's probably the most he's going to get, you know. But LeBron's been willing to give it up and let him let him do his thing a little bit while he's out there. Uh, my criticism has always been LeBron's like, here you go. And then he'll just go stand in the corner and not use his gravity at all with any kind of movement. It makes it harder. A guy like Schroeder suffered greatly because of that, because then he's going like four on five because LeBron's got it holding his shorts in the low, in the weak side corner. Um, Russ is better than Schroeder, but, um, it, it still makes it harder on everybody. I think.
0: Yeah. I got a LeBron theory coach, Nick. I don't think his per game numbers will actually ever go down. I think just as the years go by, he might play less and less games. Like that's what I'm thinking. Like, I think like just every year he's going to find ways to, you know, manage his load and just maybe play less games and still average similar numbers.
1: Uh, I, I agree. i mean, look at the, I'm kind of curious right now. Cause I feel like we're going to see some, yeah, some shooting field goal percentage, you know, dips. We'll, we'll see that too. I mean, there's no question. He doesn't finish with the Ram as well as he used to it's still really, really good. But it's like when you see certain plays, and you remember what he was like five years ago. Yeah, if you watch, watch the it, tape listen, from 2010,
0: that. it's crazy. Yeah, right. So, yeah. so, and
1: that's fair. I mean, listen, that's yeah, it's fair. fair. That's, yeah. We all know this. Yeah. Um, so I think that's going to be an issue with him. But, you know, he's hurt now and he's going to be out for a little while. And the last time he had, like, he had the groin injury, whatever that was, I guess it was two years ago. He was out for a long time. Could very well be because they weren't you know, incentivized maybe to win. That might yeah. have been the year before they won that title. I can't even remember now. But uh, these are the, the, the things that pop up now that linger more than, than ever. Uh, I would be more worried about that because that's not even the load managing. Now he's going to be missing consecutive games over a period of time versus the spot ones. And that's, a, it, it, I think it's a rib cage or whatever he did, abdominis, something or other. Um, you know, those are the ones where, you know, you get a little quick sudden move again and you tweak it. And then it's it's right back to where you started again for another bunch of games. So he's it's it's got to be concerning. I, I would be very, a little bit worried about
0: that if I, if I was a Lakers fan right now. But I think the le- the less amount of games he plays is actually better for him in the playoffs because he's a guy who's just going to be able to take care of his own body. And I think that's what, I think that's what really helped him in the bubble. Like he had all that rest and nobody knows how to take care of their own body like LeBron does.
1: Right. Although then there's the chemistry argument again, where yes. he hasn't get enough reps with everybody, uh, yes. a new team. Um, you know, they're, they're missing Caruso that question. Does THT like, you know, replace that? No, but he'll make him better when he does come back. Um, you know, and it's a weird, that they're playing some, some weird lineups right now. Um, you know, Kent Bazemore is, seems to be getting like all sorts of run, which is you know head scratching to me. And um, you know, the other guy, there's another rookie who's playing right now. I'm forgetting his name. Um, what team? What's the Lakers. You know, some some rookie who's running around. And you know, everyone's like, oh, he's not. I mean, once the other guys get back, he won't he won't sniff the the court. But uh Austin Reeves. Oh, okay, um, yeah you know, but, but, you know, he's okay, but this is not a a team at the championship level. DeAndre Jordan doesn't look good at all and he was still getting minutes. So, you know, coach Vogel needs to figure out a little bit better, like what the lineups are going to be and how he's going to shape it. Um, But, you know, Avery Bradley looks pretty bad, you know, running over here Mm -hmm. from the warriors. Um, And then speaking of which the warriors now have guys like Gary Payton, the third playing in that Avery Bradley role. And you kind of understand now why the warriors were willing to give up Bradley because, Peyton has been, is, 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 a, is a better player.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, talking about rookies, staying on rookies, what rookies have impressed you coach Nick? I've been pulling up my uh, Scotty Barnes receipts, man. I've been just, you know, just keep on showing everybody what I was trying to tell people about Scotty Barnes, man. I've been trying to tell people there, for a absolutely. long time, coach Nick. Hey, uh, I love it. I love Scotty Barnes. I've watched a couple of the games
1: that he's played and he's the best part about him And what I always rate on these younger players are, uh, how intimidated are they? Do they look? And this guy does not look intimidated at all. And so just by that, like the guy could not be shooting that well or whatever, but you can see in his eyes and you can see in the body language that this guy thinks he belongs, knows he belongs and will, will do it. Like Jimmy Butler was that way for me as a rookie. And like no one even knew who he was coming out of Marquette or whatever. But I'm like, this guy is mean and he's not backing down to anybody. And Barnes is the similar way in both ends of the court. So I'm, you know, I'm actually checking his numbers right now. They're higher than I thought they were, you know, a little over 18 a game shooting 55%. And, you know, he doesn't really shoot the three and that's okay. Cause he's facility. Oh, you know what? My memory is I could see him handling the ball a lot, but he's not getting a lot of assists, which is interesting to me. Um, but I, you know, I, I, and I, people want to compare him to like, to like Scotty Pippen. I, I don't see that really at all. Like there's nothing in the way he moves. It reminds me of Scotty, but um, certainly I guess like maybe the height, and then he handles the ball means oh it has to be Scotty, but uh, at the very least, if this is his baseline as a rookie, then yeah, the sky's the limit for him.
0: Yeah, I'm hearing uh, Giannis comparisons too. I don't really see that either. Like, uh, uh, I mean, no, I, I, yeah, it's just... when I
1: hear those comparisons, I instantly go to like movement type and, and body type, and and that, that doesn't apply here at all. So I can't get beyond that so easily. No,
0: yeah. So a friend texted me today. He's like, Cade Cunningham is not it that's that's basically what he was say he's not it because of a few bad games a few bad games i was telling him yeah come on man You're, we're not going to be having this conversation two months from now when he and gets comfortable he missed- he's he's playing on a, a on a bad ankle he's yeah. not in rhythm he's not in shape yet i think right. kate will be fine what are your thoughts on it
1: well if the inside out movie had tonight it was in an indication uh in the first half i just saw a highlight before we came on uh yeah he's he's like the grand hill kind of guy i mean he looks um he, i think he's going to be the best uh of the rookies from what mm. i did i did the video uh, of uh, him and i look at davion mitchell and um shoes i didn't do scotty Barnes. i did somebody else but now i'm forgetting but he was
0: oh jalen green yeah i wouldn't yeah and that, i wouldn't even like i would put jalen green possibly in the same tier as Cade. i wouldn't even have davion in that type of tier me personally with those oh, two. really I yeah, think David really.
1: Mitchell is, is is I think Jalen Green is the, is the lower tier of all of those guys. You think Davion Mitchell is going to be better than Jalen Green, Coach Nick? All I see for so Jalen Green has got the off the dribble three down pretty well. He can he can nail those and step backs, whatever. But I don't see much else from him right now that he that he does well, and will we need to develop
0: the athleticism, uh, the separation
1: okay i see athleticism but i don't see him knowing exactly how to use it properly uh and again it's all on the right on a normal track for a guy that age and the experience is fine but um yeah. I, I just you know and, and i think my prediction is going to be right from that video that he um will struggle the most i mean remember davion mitchell's uh he played four years in college three years in college he's yeah, older. Yeah. like he's going to be better and from what i've seen at least defensively from mitchell he's he's just amazing like he'll definitely be you know, like Lou Dort and him are going to compete for like best, you know, um, perimeter defender. And Lou Dort and then and, uh, Thibel, they, those three guys need the video just on that alone. Well, Ben Simmons, right? I, I think that Thibol honestly, is better than Simmons defensively. But that doesn't mean that Simmons isn't like the th- third best player defensively in the league. I think Thibel is probably could be the best. The plays that he makes are so outrageous right now and from last year, too. Uh, it's like breathtaking. <laughs> to watch what he can do more so than Simmons. He Bible is a little bit more of a, of a what's his, what's the word. I don't know if he has more length. I got to look at his, his wingspan, but he's just more fluid in his movement and probably has a little bit more quick and quicker and explosiveness on the defensive end than even Simmons does. So um, yeah, I mean, it's a, if they could ever get Simmons back uh, then they obviously that makes them even a great defensive team. But again, I don't think Simmons is coming back. In fact, I had a good idea for a trade. Oh, you know who they should trade? You want a hot take? Go Here's ahead. Here's the man. hottest take. I'm going to burn your podcast down right now. They should trade Simmons <laughs> for Tatum.
0: That should be the trade. Oh, man.
1: The Celtics are not man. going where they want to go.
0: And I Oh, think- yeah, we, we know that. I mean, I haven't been high on the Celtics for a while now. Yeah, I guess that's interesting. Um, but, you know, the, the Sixers – they need a guy who could distribute. Like, they don't have enough ball movers. They don't have enough guys yeah. with connectivity. I don't know. Like, I think it might cause the same problem as it did with the Celtics. I mean, it'll put fans in the seats because Tatum is, you know, that type of name. I think name wise it works. But right. I don't really and By know the way,
1: it. you're right. It doesn't work because they have Tobias and whatever. And I, I'm thinking more in yeah. the other way. Um, oh. Well, yeah. I'm just thinking about here's, here's Oh, yeah. They
0: have well, him and, him and Marcus Smart. There's some redundancy there, but I, I do like I do think he could help them though. I do yeah. think he can well, help the Celtics.
1: Marcus Smart's the guy they should trade and they should have traded. Ah, and they try okay. to trade. And um, you know, so here's the thing. This is this is like a every so often there's a player that drives like a coach crazy when you watch him play. And it's hard to explain <laughs> that because the fans love him and he, he does certain things that like obviously they think he's great when he's not. Uh, I've gone through this with Bledsoe. And I was like years out in front of Bledsoe. And listen, I've done this with Russ as well. And I tried to, you know, and, I, and Russ, people would get so mad at me, like, I, like as if I was obsessed with it. But it's like Russ just does things that drive people crazy in such volume that it's like it's just it's easier to point out because there's so many times it will do stuff. Uh, Bledsoe is the same way. And the, um, the fans with uh, in Milwaukee refuse to believe. I don't think I have any followers anymore from the Milwaukee buck fan base because they were like <laughs> one of the just ripped their clothes over what I was saying, but um, they all know, they now understand it took them a lot longer than I would hope to, to understand what I'm saying. And I can tell you the uh, Pelicans fans get it. And so do the, the Clippers fans already. It's like, you know, so this is the same thing with Marcus smart. And, uh, you know, listen, he does do some – he probably does better things than Bledsoe does, but he also does maddening things that are just so out of the ordinary and so, just so, so so poorly thought out that he's the guy that puts the ceiling on your team. Um, I, I'm pretty sure the Celtics had tried to trade him, and they probably missed the window when he was at this most valuable. And now, you know, the more he plays, the more the more this variability you're going to keep seeing where it's like he's all over the place and that narrative takes hold. He doesn't have a lot of value, so they probably can't trade him for what they think he's worth. Um, But he's the guy that's also going to cause problems like he puts a ceiling on that team. There's actually I might do a video on this. The all ceiling guys, the guys who you have who like who Mm. play more than like the eight, maybe 18, 19 minutes a game and you rely on them, but they're going to put a ceiling on them because they're just not good enough to be uh, on a great team or on a really good team. What names come to mind? Oh boy. Oh boy. I know I started to do this and gosh, I I feel bad because some of the guys are like, you know, nice guys. who are just, you know, they're just for whatever reason, getting those minutes. I mean, there's another guy in the Celtics who I really like. um, Jay, gosh, Jalen Brown. No Jalen Brown. I like better than Tatum, believe it or not. No coach. Nick, I've I've, I'm
0: with you, man. All right.
1: And probably part of the reason is he's probably a better athlete than Tatum.
0: Here's my thing here. Here's how I'll explain it. I'm not mad at anybody saying that Jason Tatum is the better player, but I will say I like the way Jalen Brown plays basketball better than the way Jason Tatum plays basketball.
1: That's perfectly said, perfectly said. And then as a result, while Brown might like stay within himself a little bit more, that's actually like better because you'll get such wild uh, attempts from Tatum. And then here's the other thing that's weird about Tatum to me. If you watch it carefully, you'll notice he, he fumbles his dribble almost every time on the perimeter while he's making a move. Not necessarily a turnover, but it's like, it's just, it's weird how how consistent this is. And it becomes, it gets him in weird situations where he might actually end up hitting with some crazy off balance step back, but it's like rooted in the fact that he almost lost the dribble. And it, it just happens so much that it's like at some point, and again, how can I, how can I criticize a guy who's scoring like 28 a game? It's crazy. Right. But, yeah. but there's like these little things that kind of lead to other things. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're in a crunch time situation where you need to have a bucket and that fumble really, you know, gets magnified and then he doesn't hit that shot. And then where are you? Um, and, and Brown doesn't do that as much. And I think Brown's got a lot more ability in the defensive end. And so um, as a result, that's why I think he's better, but um, you know, but listen, Tatum. I like Tatum. I like the narrative. I like the story. How, how hard he's worked and he's gotten to himself to that position. But I would take Brown. But you know, it's not like Grant Williams is the guy. I'm thinking who. You know, he's playing like the 20 minutes a game, and you're like, God, this guy really, you know, wouldn't be a guy who would be on a good team playing that many minutes. Schroeder, by the way, is another one of these guys who's playing 31 minutes. He's he puts a ceiling on your team as well. Unfortunately, he's just not good enough to be that guy. Even though he's gotten that opportunity in the past, I just it's just not happening. Um, so I'm really just lighting the Celtics on fire. If I wanted to give anybody else, <laughs> gosh, uh, let me quickly run through, uh, let me think of anybody else that comes to my, I don't know. Um, you know, I mean, certainly, uh, I, we already mentioned, uh, Bazemore with the Lakers, you know, he's going to put a ceiling on there a really hard
0: ceiling. If he continues to play as many minutes as he does. Yeah. I was thinking star players. Cause you mentioned Russ. So I didn't know. Oh, no, these were...
1: are not, star- I mean, this wouldn't be stars. These would be the guys like the Schroeder's, and the um and the, oh. and the smarts
0: okay i because i thought i i thought the conversation started out with russ no
1: no well the conversation with russ was more about hey this guy isn't as good as you think he is and okay, that was yeah. what bledsoe was and that was what um you know so so i i conflated two different th- ideas and the one yeah that I yeah but
0: I, I do think a lot of people think that way so it's not You know, no, Russ.
1: Listen, Russ could put the ceiling on the Lakers for sure as well. And maybe I even said that too. Yeah. I mean, this, this, in this iteration of Russ and the way he's fitting in. Yeah. I mean, listen, he can't shoot threes. He provides no spacing. He's not doing that well from the mid range either. Like he, like, not even like he used to. I mean, he was okay from that, but like, it wasn't amazing at that. And, uh, and, you know, he finishes kind of average at the rim too. So it's like, what do you have as a point guard? You know, he doesn't have a floater game and, um, you know and he can pass well kind of well you know with, with a lot of usage so it's like you know he's an athlete and he can make a lot of highlight plays but in the end it's it feels you know you're left kind of empty with
0: with a lot of what he does in my that's mind that's interesting you mentioned no florida game because like, that's something you could definitely get better at like i could i could see vision maybe so, is something that is harder to improve upon but like you should be able to develop a floater. you just rep it out you know
1: I uh, yeah i don't think i think i mean listen I, if it would become a pull-up shot, which is sort of what he does rather than a floater, yeah. that's okay too. But he doesn't have that kind of pull-up like I'm going, I get into the – step into the lane and then floater or pull-up even. His pull-ups are I'm dribbling you know, 70 feet down the court and then I'm just going to pull up because the guy's giving me an extra five feet of space. Uh, that's a lot different than like yeah, off of a drive. But even then, like I would like to see him do that more where he like, you know, catches the ball on the wing and then can kind of get downhill into the middle and then pull up for those shots those are the good shots I like to see him play. And that's always going back to where he should have been a shooting guard from the beginning. And there's the, what was weird was he, he anointed himself a point guard out of, out of UCLA, having never played that position in the college. And uh, they let him do that. And it was I don't think it was ever really his optimal position. And whenever we've seen him attack, like, after a guy, you know, draws the defense a little bit like Harden and then gives it to him, and now he can kind of attack from a shifted uh, defense – that's when he's much better and he's not the guy making the initial decisions in the offense, like the, how the possession is going to go. And, and, and we're kind of seeing that a little bit more and more, like we were talking about when he sets the screen and then rolls, yeah. uh, that, that is where he's best at. And he's someone, someone, him, I guess has resisted that for this whole career. And, you know, it's a little long in the tooth at this point to like completely change, but
0: it'd be nice to see. Yeah. We started with the rule changes. Let's end with the rule changes in some form or faction. Um, I think, the Miami Heat is the team that will benefit most from these rules changes. Are you buying that this is who they are right now? Because they're really playing well on both sides of the floor. Well, yeah,
1: they have the number one offense. And uh, I've been meaning to dive into the defense as well because I, I've seen – I actually was watching tonight for the first time like for a real long gaze at the, at the Heat – and um, but I've seen some of the clips of their rotations on defense and they're just it's just like breathtaking to watch, uh, not only from an, an energy standpoint, which is a little, a little bit like what they did with uh, the Heatles when they were all together. And that was always the, the big the biggest compliment I could have given that team was how well Spolstra got them, how much they get they gave out on defense. It was really impressive uh, and unprecedented to have, you know, from Dwayne Wade and LeBron James and Chris Bosh ever down down below them. Uh, those guys gave out so much energy on defense. It was amazing. And I'm seeing that now, but it's also smart. They're, they're playing hard and they're playing smart and they're not like to, usually the biggest problem you'll see on defense in the NBA is in the, in the penetration and rotation, two guys go to the ball and then they kick it out. And then it's, it's over with, they got a, a fast break in the half court. It's over. They get a good shot. Uh, you, you almost never see that with the, with the, um, the heat, they rotate properly. They close out properly, good angles, Good spacing. Remember, uh, Bobby Knight said it the best. He said that um, you know defense is just offense without the ball, and it's the same exact kind of spacing and angles and movement yeah. that you'd have um, on offense. You just have it on defense if you're doing it right, you know. And uh, they're doing it right. And by the way, so are the Warriors, uh, the other team that that really should get some recognition for their defense. Um, and that's all Draymond, you know, quarterbacking and most of that. But again, um, I've seen those practices and I see how they work on it, and it's impeccable how they every day make sure they get their 25, 35 minutes of of those drills and reinforce X outs, reinforce weak side help and, and how that works and who helps. And uh, and as a result, you'll see they don't make those kind of mistakes that a lot of other teams do. Yeah, defense down the
0: ball. That's so interesting. I kind of equate and I thought about this recently that I think that team defense, off-ball defense would be like the equivalent of passing on the offensive side. Like, you need to have great feel.
1: Well, oh, vision, you know. Yeah, vision, to, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, like, you know. You I, they you, should
0: do a study to see if, like, great passes are great team defenders, you know, or oh, help defenders. Oh, that's interesting.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Um, I wonder if that's the case. It's funny because that also reminds me of there were times when I'd have players who would always be in the right position defensively, you know, they could just sort of see the angles properly. And I would always ask them, hey, are you good at math? This is the high school level. And I would say 99.9% of the kids would answer, yes, I'm good at math. And I always felt like there's a, there a connection there because mathematically, if that is easy for you, then positioning is probably easy for you too, X, Y, you know,
0: yeah. where you need to be. Well, um, also, memory out- is so important on defense too. Like, I mean, it becomes instinct eventually, but you have to remember the schemes. You know, what's funny is I, I kind of prided myself as, a,
1: as an offensive guy, as a triangle offense coach. But I got to tell you, when I go through my footage later, I'd always be like, gosh, this is the, we're really playing great defense. And I, 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 started, I, I, I sensed that I probably was able to teach defense even better than I could teach offense. But part of that was it, it, muscle memory and all things are important, but it's just like there's just ways to break it down into small side of games where you can reinforce the concepts. So it's kind of like when you're coding uh, like a website, for instance. <laughs> Funny, I use this analogy on my political
0: podcast today, but... Um, I didn't know you, know you still had that going, Coach Nick. Yeah, you've had oh, yeah. that for a while now.
1: Yeah, I've been doing it, you know, we've, we it's 150 regular episodes and like 40 Patreon episodes. We have a big Patreon, you know, it's a subscription model. It's, it's been great. The whole shebang. <laughs> yes, yeah, the Muckrake podcast. But, um, okay. you know, if you are, if you like... If you like right-wing politics, I don't think it's for you, just throwing it out there. But if you do want to listen to, you know, really well-reasoned and deep dives into the, the politics, we take the historical context as well. So we go back and explain how this, how where we're at now, you know, uh, connects directly to Nixon and to Reagan and, and Carter and all these, it's, it's a fascinating talk. And, and I use this analogy, though, is like, you know, with defense, if you try and, if you're try if you're coding a website and you use dynamic coding, which would be like you can, you can program it to be smart and it can handle um, you know, a lot of different possibilities all in one line of code versus coding out every single line for every different possibility. You'll probably never be able to cover every possibility and then the website will freeze because you didn't cover this one idea, whereas dynamic coding can take uh, a lot of different inputs and then still be able to, to understand it and then, and then send you to the right place. Same thing with um, with offense and defense, where when you teach angles and spacing and movement, they can recognize the pattern, even though they might not be exactly in the spot you did your shell drill in, but they'll still move in the right position and cover it the right way. Same with uh, with offense. You might not throw the ball to the guy right where he was in that one, you know, uh, option of one of your offense, but because you recognize that he was on, he's there and I'm at this angle and the other guy's there, I can still move through that same spot. Like I would have, if we were, you know, a little bit twisted on somewhere else in the court and the other guy will know what we're doing and we can still get a great play out of that, if that makes sense. So that's the the sort of small sided games when you're working on this and three on three and two on two, and you can start to move around the court but then you recognize the patterns, even if you're in different spots. That's what makes you a, a high IQ player. And a lot of times I feel like coaches might just shrug and say, you know, I, I don't know, he, he's got a good IQ, he doesn't, and I'm never really going to be able to help that. Uh, I, I kind of feel like that's the role of the coach, and you can't just shrug that one off.
0: Yeah, um, I was just thinking about some names while you're giving that excellent explanation, like Ben Simmons, great passer, great help defender, Lonzo Ball. Great passer, great defender, Draymond Green, Scottie Pippen. I think this holds some truth. We got to we got to look more into this, Coach. Oh, Nick. the passing, right? Well, how
1: about this, Lamelo Ball? Great passer, not good on the weak side. Yeah,
0: I think a lot of that is effort, right? And not like actually, he he makes some good reads sometimes. He just doesn't seem to care it sometimes. Like I think it, yeah. if the effort was there, he would definitely have the feel to do it.
1: Are the reads you're talking about the ones where he'll steal the pass from the wing back to the top? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. stuff like,
0: so- like he knows where to be.
1: So, on those, yeah, I've seen that. But then when the ball is lower, or and then his man is lower, um, yeah. It, and it, I don't want to think it's an effort thing. I mean, I, cause I'll see the effort like late because he doesn't know where to be, or he's, he's, or by the way, he's going for a steal on a pass that he just isn't going to steal. And now he's just a couple steps off. Uh, that happened last night quite a bit to him. Um, you know, but again, he, he should be smart enough to be like, okay, I can adjust this and figure this out and and let's hope he does. But, um, but there's an example where I'm like, I was watching it last night in the video I was doing for the warriors and I could have done the exact, you know, the, the other video on the other side to explain why the Hornets are not a good defensive team. And so, you know, the warriors were able to demonstrate how great they are even though they turned the ball over a bunch of times, but it was also a nice, you know, confluence of events where you had the worst, one of the worst defenses in the league going up against that offense. And uh, you know, the the Warriors are going to beat them eight out of 10 times. Easy.
0: Coach Nick, it's always great having you on the show. Where can we find you man on social media and everywhere else?
1: It's not too hard. You can type in b-ball breakdown pretty much everywhere. In fact, on YouTube, you don't need to type in the whole word. Just type in b-ball and it'll autofill probably the first one for you. Most likely because I've just been around for so long and I'm old. But uh, that counts <laughs> for something.
0: <laughs> Most definitely, and, longevity is key, Coach Nick. Yeah, but yeah, is I, key. you know,
1: if you mention me on Twitter, I generally uh, write back. Although I was trying to avoid that, you know, I, it, it felt to me really quickly that like the more people I responded to, which used to be my bread and butter, like everyone loved, like let's have a conversation. But the more people I respond to on Twitter now, like the, I, I lose followers. So I, I've been playing with that a little bit, like maybe not responding to everybody as much as I used to, but, um, but we'll see. I, it, it's hurt. It pains me because I want to interact. and I want to respond. And um, hmm. you know, you can check out an interesting conversation I had with some, uh, some NBA uh, shooting coaches uh, from the past uh, about the hop. Uh, that's that was an interesting one I had today, which I was a little oh. nervous about continuing responding. Cause again, this, this losing followers thing, but, but I couldn't, I, I uh, we had to, ma- I
0: had to make some points. <laughs> oh, well the hop is straightforward on the curl. It's one two. Come on coach Nick. We know that, right? No, why, why not the hop on the curl too? You like the energy transfer, huh? Uh,
1: the rhythm, yes. Uh, the rhythm is built in and it's quicker. Um, now, on the left side of the floor, if you're a righty, uh, I used to kind of feel like, all right, the one-two is a little bit better because it's hard to get the alignment on the hop have to kind of twist in the air a little bit. But I can show you a whole bunch of different clips of guys doing it and it looks great. Um, so, you know, listen, I solved my problem I had with the one-two. And, and the reason why I engage with this stuff is because for a long, long time as a, as a shooting coach, I wouldn't, I didn't want my guys to hop because I thought it was a jump stop and it was like way too big and it was too slow and all these different things. But once I, sh- I saw in like 2010 what the hop really was, I was so convinced that it was a secret of everything that like I've now gone over to that side. However, um, the one twos, what, what drive me nuts is the rhythm there is off most of the time. And really quickly, I don't want to dr- uh, drone on too long because I know you want to probably get out of here, but um, With the one-two, if you can picture a guy catching the ball, like on a a catch-and-shoot one-two, they usually will bring the ball down to the waist right when they catch it and it's sitting there for an extra beat while they're waiting for the two to touch and then go up. And what I discovered was the best one-twos are the ones when you hold the ball where you caught it and you time the bottom of the dip to the two. And we might have already gone over this in another pod with yours. I can't remember. But if if you wait for the bottom of the two, the bottom of the dip, to time with the two when you're planning that right foot to go up into the shot, it gives you the proper energy transfer and rhythm. And when I've shown like D one shooters, this, and even a couple of guys in the NBA, they look at me like I'm some sort of wizard because they're like, Oh my God, this is exactly what I want to feel like when I shoot these one twos. And I said, I know this is, this is the right rhythm you need. And a lot of times you just bring the ball down too early and you lose all that energy that there's no, the, 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 the power of the shot comes from that dip. And if you don't dip properly, then you're going to lose a lot of that power and you're going to lose, you can get muscle slack and it won't, it won't feel right. So, um try it go on the court and try it if you can picture what i described and um i i think i can almost guarantee you're gonna be like oh yeah this is the time when i made a shot and i knew it was going in before it went in
0: it's because i think part of that because you're saying the energy transfer is better i just think it might be harder to square up right on a hop when you're going left to right
1: right that is the only issue is when when you're on the left side of the court But, but, I mean, I'll, I'll text you a clip a buddy of mine just sent me from uh, the shooter, Kisper, from uh, Gonzaga doing it. And, it, and it's, it's as easy as he makes it look. Uh, so the bottom line for me is there isn't a the shot you can take one-two that you couldn't do just as easily with the hop. And because I, I like the hop and the built-in rhythm, and I think that it is faster, uh, I just prefer that anyway. But when I, when I start teaching the one-twos now and I get that rhythm uh, dialed in better, then then I'm less concerned with like uh, the, the the footwork a little bit because I know there's a natural tendency to like want to do one two, but I think the naturalness of that is only because um that's been taught more often. So like a guy like Dave Hopla who was engaging me, who you know used to be the Knicks coach, but you know, and I love Dave. He's he's a great when guy was, to hang when out with I was with a kid,
0: to. I saw I went to basketball camp and I saw Dave Hopla perform. Yeah.
1: Love him. He's he's great to hang out with, but <laughs> he's a dinosaur. I and mean, let's face it, he, they, they haven't realized what we've learned in the last 10, 15 years. Um, he's like, well, you know, he, he tries to make a point that like, why don't people hop more? As if, and by the way, and what he's trying to say is because it's not good, better than the one, two, that's why it's not, people don't hop more. Oh. When in reality, it's simply because it's just not taught because people don't understand what they're teaching and don't know how to teach it right. I'm trying to change that, and I think I am. Um, and that's really why, because uh, there isn't anything natural about a jump shot, in my opinion, at all, anyway. You know, shooting a ball, shooting the basketball is not natural. You have to learn that. You have to be trained from a young age or whatever. If you were to teach the hop at a young age, then that would be as natural as the one-two is. And when you watch these eight-year-olds come out for the first time or seven-year-olds, what do you? What do they do? They come running up on the court with the ball like at, the, at, the, at their shoulder level. They run, 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 and they hop and then they try and shoot it. They do that naturally, and then we have these coaches who spend the next ten years of their lives trying to train it out of them, and it's 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 coaching criminality.
0: It's an interesting thought. Uh, Dave Hoppla, did have you ever seen him play five on five? That's what I want to say. I want to see Dave Hoppla play five on five because I'm telling you, with just him, the basket, and the ball, that guy doesn't miss.
1: Yeah, right. Oh, like, yeah, right. I, with two motion not... shots, all the time in the world, no one's disrupting him. Sure, you know, you can do that, but uh, I, you know, I, I think he was really good as a young guy. I mean, he's way too old to be playing, I would hope, at this point, but um, yeah, I, I don't know, man, the way he shot it. Uh, you know, if yeah, you're wondering he... what I looked like when I played, but by the end of my playing career, I looked like um, God, who, who was a guy that would pull up from, like, inside half court? Trey <laughs> that and was, Steph? What I was doing. Yeah, I was kind of like that. I wouldn't dribble and attack like that because uh, I didn't want to get hurt. But, Dame, like, Trey yeah, I Steph. was literally really. Coach Nick,
0: Dame, Trey, Steph. Yeah, it was the like
1: two dribbles in, and I was firing it up and laughing, uh, you know, on the way back down. And I, and I could hit that because I had a one-motion shot without even really knowing that, and uh, I, could, I could stretch the floor pretty well. But, um, but, yeah, Hopla would need a lot of extra
0: time, I think, to get that shot off. Yeah, he, he definitely doesn't miss when he's just shooting by himself. That's for sure. What yeah, how, how old were you when you stopped um, playing pickup? Um,
1: that's another good question. I probably uh 40. Mm. So I had a hip replacement when I was um I hurt my hip in the college and I, I, I dealt for 18 years with like debilitating hip pain, even though I was playing through it as much as I could. Um and then I finally got a uh, hip re- resurfacing and that that helped me for about you know a year, but then I got bone on bone. So I did a partial replacement in 2010. And I was playing in my, well, I had a normal pickup game before that, after that, after my rehab and was probably playing as well as I had ever played, um, you know, for a while in, after my thirties. Uh, so that would have been, let's see, 10 years ago. So I was like, yeah, late thirties, I was still playing. And then I don't know, I got to like 40 and I was busy. And then, you know, the game I lost, I didn't have a good game to play in. And, um, now I, I just, I can't do it. I've, I've, um, I'm too out of shape. I've lost my, uh, my athletic ability i've been trying to play tennis by the way and i want to regain it there and uh man i played like maybe twice a week for the last five months or six months which is always what has killed me in the past i've been a good tennis player but never played enough to be consistent and um i'm still not there it has to be a function of age right like it just it just it's going to take that much longer you know twice a week three times a week to finally try and get my tennis game back but it's been a really frustrating are you stretching are you lifting the weights you know, I probably need to do well. I, I don't even know if I need to do weights. I probably need to do lunges. My legs are weak. Um, well, yeah, you, you can know.
0: start with body weight, but eventually I think you should shift away. I think it's really important.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I think I could do enough with just a core and flexibility, hip flexibility. Yeah. Well, it's better but, than doing
0: nothing, that's for sure. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Body weight, yeah. But,
1: but yeah, I, I, you know, I'll find myself, you know, getting down. This is ridiculous for the spot. Maybe I'll cut it, but, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. I'll just find myself digging low for a ball like on tennis and you have to get really you know in a lunge and my leg I almost like fall to the floor because like my knees my leg my quads are like jelly and, uh, and again it just from playing it's and I by the way I'm doing a lot of peloton that's not quite doing that. I clearly I need to do more I need to actually do the lunges maybe get some weights in my hands and at least yeah, you know, yeah. get more um but that's the function of being you know i look a lot younger than i am and so that's the function of um of being the age i am now i guess which is this is uh it's just too bad it's a fight
0: yeah you got, you want to start with that resistance training now coach nick lift a couple weights man it's great for you and then stretch you know maybe a little bit of yoga i think be great oh no for you.
1: listen i yeah I, pilates i was doing pilates and then COVID hit you know i can't go because my teacher my neighbor doesn't you know doesn't want to have people in her, in her studios. And I get it. So anyway, Pilates is great too. I don't know if
0: you've ever done that, but that's, um, I think I tried yeah. it once. I'm more of a yoga guy. to have done yoga. Oh, uh,
1: listen, I've done everything. And, yeah. uh, and they're very different, but like with the, the day you realize with like Pilates that you can't lift your, your little pinky toe because you have no idea where that connection is to your feet. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you start working on, by the way, you start rewiring all the connections to your feet, because obviously the feet are the most important thing. That was like a revelation to me and really started on my path to getting like better balance again and whatever. But but no question, yoga is awesome too. And um,
0: everything is, anything and everything is great. Coach Nick, you're always welcome back on this show. Thank you so much for taking the time and talk soon. Absolutely. I love the conversation. Please have me back on. Will do. Later, Coach Nick. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to Combo's Court Podcast. Coach Nick, thank you for joining in to Combo's Court Podcast. Appreciate you all, Combo Nation. Share this episode. That's right. You know what? Stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing and share this episode, whether it may be Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Share it on your IG stories and tag me at two combo That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you listen to Combo's Court. If you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, leave a 5-star rating, a friendly comment, and punch down on that follow button for the Apple Podcast app. Be on the lookout for episode 216. Combo, out.